Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're all having a safe, fun uh, Labor Day weekend. It's a beautiful weekend out there. I'm glad that you could be here with us this morning. This morning, as Kurt said, I have the opportunity to talk to you about something that's become really near and dear to my heart, especially over the last year, and that's adoption. Specifically, God's adoption of anyone who decides to to go the way of Christ, who decides to go in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life where I had a really ignorant view of what adoption is. And I can illustrate that this way. I am the oldest of four boys, and there were times, I don't know what it was like for you and your siblings, but there were times in my life with my brothers when we absolutely enjoyed each other, we were rooting for each other, we, would, we had each other's backs, but then there were other times where we just wanted to choke the life out of each other, right? We were trying to jab each other, make each other hurt and bleed as much as possible. That was part of being a Harris boy growing up. Not proud of it, but that's the way it was. And I remember one time in particular that I really wanted... I don't know what I was thinking. I was just being mean. That's all there was to it. And I I turned to one of my brothers and I I pulled him aside and I said, Tim, I hate to tell you this, but you're not really part of our family. No, as a matter of fact, your real parents who didn't want you, by the way, they left you on the side of the road and mom and dad just felt sorry for you and brought you home. And that's why you're here. Have a nice day. He believed me, for, and by the way, he was a biological brother, okay? I was just being, I don't know what I was doing. Tim, if you're listening, I'm sorry, forgive me, I really do love you. But I was just being mean. And the whole point of me saying what I said was a really bad idea of what adoption was. And that is that somehow you're less of a family member. Because you're not biologically related you're less of a family member. That was what I was trying to get across to my brother, and I had succeeded. You should have seen the look on his face. He was absolutely horrified. Now, since that time, God has done a work in me. And before I ever met my wife, I really felt like I wanted to adopt a kid someday. Once I got married, I wanted to adopt because I wanted to be able to shower love on a child that otherwise may not get that love. Also, I wanted to demonstrate to the world that this is what God is like. He brings us into his family, and he showers us with love, and he gives us good things. And so that was a goal of mine, even before I got married. And then I met my wife. Met my wife, we began dating, and we got engaged, and we do what every other couple who are engaged does, and we started planning for the future, dreaming. What's life going to be like? How many kids are we going to have? And in that process, I told her, sweetie, I really want to adopt someday, and I gave her my reasons, and she said, that's great. I'd love to adopt too. That's something that I would like to do as well. And we thought, yeah, we'll have, we'll have some biological kids and we'll adopt eventually a child or two and life will be great. And then life went on and we got married. And about a year and a half into our marriage, we started trying to have our own family. And, and it was hard. It took us about a year to get pregnant. And when we finally got pregnant, we had a miscarriage. And it was absolutely devastating. Our plans were crumbling around us. But in the middle of that pain, as hard as that was, and as uncomfortable as that was, God kind of flipped a light switch on in us. 
And we started asking, why are we waiting to adopt? Who says we have to have biological children at all? Why are we waiting? And so we started in on the process. And here's a picture of our family now. I'm the big, white, hairy guy, by the way. <laughs> That's me and my wife, Jessica, and our son, Caleb William Scott Harris. Something that has really stuck out to me in the whole process of adopting him, and this is a picture of his adoption day when it was finalized. It's us with the judge in the courtroom. Caleb is just a few months old there. Um, but in that courtroom, we were asked a question, and it... I had already had this idea in my head, but the question being asked of me really just formulated it more solidly in my mind. And the, this is, was the question. Do you understand that from this day forward, it is as though Caleb has been born to you? And that struck us deeply. I mean, for multiple reasons. But that idea had been confirmed for us when we got the call a year ago this past June that a birth mom chose us. It was as though he had been born to us already. That, that idea was confirmed to us when we got there at 2.30 a.m. July 14th after he had been born in Tacoma. And we got to hold him all six pounds, one ounces of him. It was confirmed for us that day in court when we were asked the question, it was confirmed again at Thanksgiving and Christmas and as we celebrated his birthday recently and in a myriad of other ways and times throughout his life so far, it has been confirmed to us. It is as though he has been born to us. I'll be honest, I am zealous and jealous for my son. And God help anybody who does anything to him because I won't, right? But that's the way God views us when he adopts us. When we are in Christ, that is exactly the way God views us. It is as though we have been born to him. And that's the big idea this morning. God adopts anyone who is a Christ follower into his family as full-fledged members. There are no second-class citizens. And it's up to us to live that adoption out. For anyone who is, as the Bible says, in Christ, and we'll talk about what that means a little bit later, but for anyone who is in Christ, that means we, there is a new family and a new way of living available for us. And the way the Bible describes this is that whatever is true of Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Bible calls him the Messiah, he's the, he's the one who God sent to rescue the world. Anyone who is in Jesus, whatever is true for Jesus becomes true for those who are in him. And so as he is a son, so we become children. We don't have time to look at this this morning, but I want to encourage you. There's a couple of passages listed at the top of the notes. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. That passage describes, it talks about, 
in great detail about what is true for, for Christ is true for those in Christ. And it's a great, those verses are a great passage of praise and prayer to God, and it's, it's really neat and uplifting. Another passage is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, which also talks about how God has adopted anyone in Christ into God's family. And we don't have time to look at those this morning, so go home, read those, study those out for yourself. The passage I want to look at this morning is in Romans chapter 8. And we're just going to read through it, and then we'll spend the rest of the morning talking about it. So here it is, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now this passage has a lot to say. Just these few verses have a lot to say. and We're not going to cover it all. I'm just going to hit a few of the high points. So for this morning, here's the first thing you need to know. Anyone in Christ is a true child of God. Anyone in Christ is a true child of God. Verse 14 has a whole range of action and meaning that's packed into what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. There's a whole string of things there that the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, is trying to communicate. If we were to look back to the first 10 verses of this uh, passage, we would see that in order to have God's Spirit, you have to be in Christ. You can't have God's Spirit and not be in Christ. That's the way it is. Further, it has in mind the action that God took by sending Jesus, His Son, to live, to die a physical death, and to raise again, and so by that action, ushering in the new age and way of living that God has for the world. Now, did anyone here see this summer the movie Captain America? I did. I liked it. I'm a cheese ball. <clears throat> in the movie Captain America, there's a sequence where um, he has the main character, Captain America, has found out that his brother has been captured by the big bad guys in the movie. Not only him, but a whole lot of other people have been captured. And uh, the army has decided we're not going to do anything about it. We can't spend the resources, time, effort, whatever. And so Captain America, against orders, takes a plane and parachutes behind enemy lines. And he doesn't come back until he's rescued them. That's the kind of initiative God took on our behalf. Now, granted, the example of Captain America does break down because Jesus did not come kicking butt and taking names. All right? He came with love. He came with service. He came to redeem the whole world, not just that part that you and I think is redeemable, but every part and every one. But that's still the kind of initiative God planned for and took when he sent Jesus not only that, but this verse 14 also talks about the, the action God took in keeping his promise 
to give his very real presence to anybody who is part of his family. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we see that God leads the people of Israel through the wilderness and the physical presence that he has with them is a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They physically saw this. Whenever the cloud or fire moved, they knew it was time to pack things up and move along with them. Later in the Old Testament, God promised to give his spirit to each of his people. And he fulfills that through Jesus. And so we, are, we get something better than a, a distant off something to follow. We get God's very person and presence in our midst as a community, but also in us individually as well. Because of God's rescue mission, anyone in Christ has been adopted into God's family. And anyone who is a true child of God has the Holy Spirit as proof of that. Anybody here flown before? Yeah. What happens when you go up to the counter to get your ticket or whatever? What, what do you have to produce? Your license, your ID, right? Why do they accept that license, that ID? It's because the state has procured from you the appropriate documents proving who you are and where you live. And so this license for them at the counter becomes proof. It becomes certified that you really are who you say you are, that I'm really Nathan Harris. The Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit is the proof that we are children of God. He's not, you know, a passport for us to fly wherever we want, but he proves that we are God's kids. And it's by him that we get to call God the very same thing that Jesus called God. There's that strange word in that passage, Abba. And it's not the music group. Okay, it's, it's an Aramaic term, and it's a very intensely personal, intimate term. It's used by adults and children of their father. And it represents the close tie and relationship. And Jesus called God Abba. He called him Father. He called him Daddy. And by the Spirit, we get to do the same thing. Anyone in Christ has been adopted as a true child of God. But that's not all you need to know this morning. Here's the second thing. Anyone in Christ is an heir of God with Christ. Anyone in Christ is an heir of God with Christ. We are fellow heirs, if we're in Christ, with, with him. And this is an idea that's really hard for us as Americans to grasp. I don't care if you watched the royals get married this last spring or whatever. Um, but as Americans, generally, we are not surrounded by the royal overtones of what the, the language Paul is using here. It, and it is very much royal. For us, the, um, the closest thing for us is when a relative or a close friend dies and they ha they've happened to put us in their will and we get something of theirs, right? That's our inheritance. For instance, here's a picture of a car I used to drive. 2003 Toyota Corolla. I fell in love with this car. I bought it. It's got air conditioning. It's got a CD player. It was, you know, top of the line, lowest model that I could get. <laughs> hey, what can I say? I'm a Scotsman. Um, 
But now that we have a child, my wife needs that car because it's the bigger one and it's got the room for the, the, uh, the car seat so she can tote Caleb around. This is now the car that I drive. Yeah. 1999 purple Hyundai Accent. I promise you, I did not bring this one into the marriage. I kid you not, one day I got up to come to work here, I put on a pair of jeans, and by the time I got out of the car, I was wearing a dress. <laughs> Don't know how it happened, but it's a true story. Now, barring the possibility that we sell this car to get a minivan, <clears throat> um, yeah, we're talking now, boy. <clears throat> But barring the possibility we sell this car, someday my son Caleb is going to inherit this fine manhood-altering piece of machinery. <laughs> and why? Because it's in the will, right? Our will states that in the event of our death, our kids get our stuff. And, and Paul is talking about something like that. He is talking about a future looking forward to inheritance here in this passage. There is an aspect of this, and we know that because he's, he goes on after he talks about if, if we partner with Jesus in, in the sufferings that we experience with him, he goes on in verse 18 to say, and we know that the, the, the glory, the inheritance to come is going to far outstrip any of the, the suffering that we experience now. So there is something for the future. But until that future time we are called to live in our inheritance as children of God. And this is how we do that. We partner with God in what he's doing. As God's kids, we go about doing what God is doing. We live our lives as rescued rescuers. We become his mouth of encouragement of exhortation and even challenge to the world. We become his hands of healing in the world. We partner with him in doing what he is doing. And we do this by being active in our families, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our neighbors and acquaintances. Now, if that freaks you out, just as a side note, we do have a class here called Fearless Conversations, and I'll make a plug for that. In that class, you learn about um, uh, worldviews and how to, how to talk to people who are coming from particular worldviews, and so we train you. It's an eight-week class. It's really good. There's been some people who've gone through it already. Uh, really neat class, and I, I'd encourage you to get involved in that. But anyone in Christ is an heir of God with Christ. And that brings us to the third thing you need to know this morning. And here it is. Anyone in Christ is indebted to God to live for God. Anyone in Christ is indebted to God to live for God. Because of the fact that God has adopted us, he has made us his kids, he has given us his spirit as proof that we are his kids, we're indebted to him and not to the old way of living. The old way of living only produces death, Paul says. But if by the Spirit we walk out God's way of life, we have life. Now, this whole idea of being indebted to God may sound a little bit like God is this cosmic pencil-pushing, 
bookkeeper who's not going to, for one instance, let you off the hook for any good thing he's done for you. But that's not at all the picture God is pa- or that Paul is painting in this passage. I had a landlord once who, uh, as my wife and I were in the process of buying our house, we were getting close to the end of our lease. We were a couple months out of being done with that. And I approached him and asked him, would you please let us out of your lease so that you know, we, don't, we just don't know when this is going to fall into place and whatnot. And if we could go month to month and right now and you know, all of that, that would be great. And he got really upset. He was not happy. And he, in fact, kind of scolded me and he, he drew a picture of this lease agreement and, and said it was like a marriage, till death do us part. And he wasn't talking about anything good there. Okay? He was not going to let us off of the hook. And he was perfectly legal to do that. He was the leaseholder. No, nothing wrong with that. But that is not the picture of God that Paul is painting. When he says that we're indebted to God, he's talking about living out of a life of gratitude, of thankfulness, of saying, God, I want to be with you. It's more like the picture of my son. Even though he's just a little over a year old right now, <clears throat> excuse me, he wants to do everything I'm doing. If I go outside to take out the trash, he wants to be with me. If I'm setting up the tent while we're camping, he wants to be there with me. He wants to be with dad and do what dad is doing. And this is why. Because he knows that I love him and that he loves me. His indebtedness has nothing to do with me holding anything over him. It is is his act of freely saying, I love you. Even though he can't say that right now, that's what he's doing. I love you and I want to be with you. Paul is talking about purposefully living out the new life of the Spirit rather than the way of the flesh. Now it's important to note that when Paul uses the term flesh in this passage, he's not talking about your physical body. All right, Our physical bodies are good, and our physical bodies, the Bible tells us, are going to be raised from the dead, and someday we are going to continue to have physical bodies. Our bodies are important. The bodies isn't the issue. It's what we do with them that is the problem. And so when Paul uses the term flesh, he is actually talking about that whole range of life that comes out of lust and lies and anger and hatred and everything that flows from those things. Everything that is opposite to the way of life that God has called us to. That is what we are supposed to avoid. Now here's the good news. Just as the Spirit is the proof that I am God's kid, He is also the empowerment for me to live the way God has called me to live. It's up to me to say yes to Him. I still have to choose to follow Jesus and to do as He said in the Gospels, to deny myself and to take up my cross. There's that way of suffering that Paul was just talking about in this passage following Jesus in the way of love and service and self-sacrifice rather than take, 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 me, me, me. So how do we get to be in Christ? How do we become adopted by God? Here's the last thing you need to know this morning. Anyone can be in Christ by believing in Christ. 
Anyone can be in Christ by believing in Christ. And maybe that sounds a little simplistic to you, but I'm going to explain it here. Okay? Now, the difference between us being adopted by God and my wife and I adopting our son Caleb is that when we're adopted by God, there's still something we have to do. We have to say yes. We have to say, we have to choose him. Okay? When I adopted my son Caleb, he was not there, you know, sitting in the hospital in his little crib, raising his hand saying, I want to go with these people. That, that wasn't what he was doing. He had no choice in the matter. Okay? But when God adopts us, we still have to choose him back. The process is not complete until we do. Here's what John chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 have to say about this. But all who received him, who believed his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. That last verse there basically means that it doesn't matter uh, who your parents are, what nationality you are, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or anything like that. It's, there, there's no physical boundaries there in who can be part of Christ. It just has to be who believes. Now, just so you know, belief isn't merely me saying, you know what, I agree, Jesus, you are God's son and you're the way, the truth, and the life. And then me going about my way of living on my own. It's not merely agreeing to the facts and then doing what I want to do. That would be like me driving 85 miles an hour down I-90 through Spokane here. And then when I'm pulled over by the police officer and he asks me, Son, do you know why I pulled you over? <clears throat> and I say, yeah, because the speed limit is supposed to be 65. But you're going to let me go now, right? Because I was able to give you the right answer. If you want to try that, go ahead. Let me know how it works. Okay? That is not the belief that the Bible talks about. There is absolutely the element of saying, I agree. But more than that, there's also the action of bringing our lives in line with. When we believe in Christ, we do say, I agree with you. I know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and all of that. But then we also, one translation of the Bible puts it, we cast our lots in with him. We tell him, You're, you've got the way, and I don't care what happens, how it happens, or whatever, I'm with you. That is the belief John talks about. There is faith, absolutely, but we have to bring faithfulness into it. And the Spirit helps us to do that. To those who make that choice, Jesus gives the power, the right to become God's children. And when we become God's kids, we have full access to all of heaven. And we get to participate with God in what he's up to. That's the adoption God has for us. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your love. God, the, the rescue mission that you went on in sending Jesus is absolutely amazing. And Lord, for anyone here who is struggling with their identity in you, struggling with their identity, period, I pray 
that you would bring this home and you would make it 100% clear to them that if they are in you, they are your child, that they are dearly loved, that it is as though they have been born to you. They are that important to you. Make that clear. If you're here this morning and you have yet to begin your life as a Christ follower and you've heard this message and you're thinking, man, that's what I want. I want that love. I want that relationship. Then just make this prayer yours. Father, I want you. I want to be part of your family. I want to be a full-fledged member of your family. I want to be your kid. Forgive me for living in the way that has been opposite of what you've called for me to live. I lay that at your feet now, and I choose you. Jesus, lead me. And Holy Spirit, empower me be God's child. Father, for anybody who has made that prayer theirs this morning, I pray that you would visit them now, that you would confirm this by your spirit to them, that they would experience, and just as the idea of Caleb being born to me has been confirmed over and over again, that this idea of them being born to you now will be confirmed over and over and over again as they grow in their relationship with you, as they are rooted and grounded in you, and as you make them everything you've always intended them to be in your love and in your grace and in your patience. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting everyone here who has decided to be in Christ. Help us to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this time, why don't you all stand with me? We're going to sing a last song, and the ushers are going to come up, and we're going to take this morning's tithe and offering. If you've got that communication card, this, is, this would be the time to put that into the basket as it goes by. Um, but we're going to sing this song, and then I'll come up and wrap us up. Yep, this is my son, Caleb. And just as I am absolutely zealous and jealous for him, and I want the best for him, and I will resource him as much as possible, that's the way God views any of us who are in Christ. He is zealous and jealous for us, and he wants the best for us. If you made the prayer to be a new believer for the first time this morning, uh, back by the doors, we have new believer packets. I'd encourage you to pick one of those up. It's got some uh, uh, stuff in there about East Point and also New Testament to help you start your way as a Christ follower. Uh, this morning we have, on each side of the auditorium here, we have uh, communion available, and the prayer team will be up front here for you. So if you need prayer, come this way, don't go that way. But thanks for being here this morning, and um, go in the love of Jesus.